For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we that are alive shall be caught up together to be with the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we see a lot of words there. Immediately, uh, trumpet, voice, uh, caught up. Uh, so all these words are very closely aligned with Revelations 4 and 1. And that is the main reason we believe the rapture takes place in the fourth chapter in verse 1. The other reason we believe that is because the word church is mentioned some 19 times from uh, Revelation 1.1 until Revelations 4 and 1. And after that it's never mentioned anymore until we get way over to the end of the book after the end of the tribulation. Uh, so uh, those are reasons why that we... Uh, we believe that the uh, church is raptured. And after the church is raptured, we don't know how long it'll be. Uh, I'm thinking it's probably going to not take too long for things begin to begin to get in uh, the shape they're going to get in in Revelations uh, 6 uh, on through till the Battle of Armageddon. It's not going to take too long because with the church out of the way, the church is salt and light. And salt and light keeps things from uh, rottening or putrefaction setting in. And so once the church is taken out, no salt, no light, uh, things are going to go south and they're going to go bad pretty quick. And so after that, uh, you have uh, basically a little less than six, uh, little less than seven years for everything that we read from chapter. Uh, 6 all the way to the end of chapter 19 you basically have a little less than 7 years for all of that to be fulfilled and transpired of course uh, no way to put every detail in the book John wrote what they told him to write and uh, you have to remember that John wrote in AD 96 96 years after Christ was born Uh, so uh, from AD 96 till 2000 and 21, lots of changes. Amen. Uh, John wrote some things in the Revelations that uh, there's no way they could have understood what he meant at the time of the writing when he talked about in uh, chapter 11 and two witnesses being seen by the whole world. No way that could happen, but it's very easily could happen now. Uh, and uh, so, uh, so John has to write, John has to write I know the Holy Spirit's able to illuminate him and able to to help him, but John has to describe things in the only way he knows how to describe them. Uh, John can't describe a computer or a smartphone or uh, or he can't describe an airplane or anything like that. He just has to describe it in the best way he knows how. And uh, if John was going to describe an airplane, he might say what he said in chapter 12 at the end there uh, when he talked about a, uh, a flight and uh, a bird with great wings and, and all this thing. So that's what he's doing. So when we get here in the ninth chapter from verse 1 down to verse 12, uh, we saw all this horde of demons. Uh, we saw them coming out of the abyss after the uh, fifth angel sounded And the star fell from heaven, and that star was given a key to the bottomless pit. And he opens that up, and they have these releases, all these demons. And uh, John sees them as locusts coming out 
uh, of the smoke. And uh, but we uh, we last week uh, just took the Bible itself and pretty much easy to see that he's not talking about a literal locust uh, because the proverb says locust has a uh, don't have no king and it says these locusts here have a king. Uh, locusts here don't eat any grass, they don't eat any trees. Uh, locusts back in the Old Testament they did all that. So uh, we believe this is uh, some kind of demons. Uh, released out of the uh, bottomless pit. Uh, once it's open, we talked about several places around the globe where that there's strange events that happen, unexplainable things happen, uh, a lot of uh, UFO sightings and things like that. I don't know if I made myself clear last week or not. I know I made the thought, but I don't know if I made myself clear but a lot of people think that UFOs come from up here somewhere. But in reality, they're probably coming from down here. And it's probably some kind of demonic uh, activity, and it comes from down here. And, uh, and they want you to think they come from up there. And probably after the rapture of the church, uh, very likely that that'll be the way they'll explain uh, how all the people come up messing because... They'll say UFOs or some invasion of some kind, and uh, they'll have to have some way to explain all those uh, millions that are missing. Uh, so when we get to the 13th uh, verse, the Bible said, And the sixth angel uh, sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Okay, uh, only twice do we find uh, this golden altar uh, in the book of Revelations. Only twice do we find it there. Now this sixth angel, and you do notice that all these angels have numbers. They not only all have numbers, they all have an order and a job to do. Uh, well, same thing is true of uh, sat uh, satanic uh, demons. They've got jobs to do as we've seen uh, one open the bottomless pit, and this, that, and the other. Uh, but these angels, they all have a number and they have an order and they have a job to do. Now, this golden altar that I said is only mentioned twice in Revelations, uh, but of course uh, it's mentioned in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus and uh, mainly in Exodus chapter 30. Let's turn there to Exodus 30 just a minute. And uh, this uh, golden altar we read about in Revelations, uh, we read about that. It is a, uh, it's a part of the tabernacle furniture. It's the sixth part. It's interesting that it's the sixth part of the tabernacle furniture and the sixth angel is the one that uh, does the announcing here. But, uh, of course, this was made for the tabernacle. Exodus 30, verse 1, And he said, And thou shalt make an, an altar to burn incense upon, of chittim wood shalt thou make it, a cubic shall be the length thereof, and a cubic the breadth thereof. Four score, score shall it be, uh, four squares shall it be, and two cubics shall be the height thereof, and the horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. That's where we get the golden altar at. Everything, verse 3 and 4, is overlaid with gold. Now drop down to verse 7. And Aaron shall burn their own sweet incense every morning, when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at evening, he shall burn incense upon it. It is a perpetual incense 
before the Lord throughout your generation. Now, the golden altar is always a type of prayer. It's always associated with prayer. And uh, we can see that in what we just read here. Uh, the Bible said, Aaron shall burn their own sweet incense. Incense in the Bible is a type of prayer. Look at Revelations 8. You remember that when we, when we covered that? Revelations 8 and verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar. There it is, which was before the throne. So this golden altar is before the throne. Now back to Exodus 30. Uh, this is a type of prayer. And the reason we know that is because he said you're supposed to give a sweet incense every morning. Did you know every morning when you get up, one of the first things you ought to do after coffee, uh, one of the first things you ought to do is you ought to somewhere have prayer. Amen. Uh, you need a time to meet with God. Amen. I wouldn't tell you how long to meet with God. That's up to you. Uh, some people uh, able to pray longer than others, but uh, I remember years ago up in the old building, a fellow, he asked me one night, he said, Brother Rick said, uh, said, how could anybody, uh, how could anybody pray an hour? How could anybody do that? And uh, and so I was trying to help him out. So I went through all the New Testament, and I wrote down everything the New Testament, Jesus New Testament said for us to pray for and about. And I just uh, took that back to him with all the scripture references, and I said, if you do this every day, you'll be lucky to get done in an hour. Uh, if you just prayed for all the things, I didn't even count about our needs, you know, our, our problems, our wants, our wishes. Uh, most of the time what we do is we put our wants and our wishes and all that we want at the front of it. And then if we got any time, we put what God wants at the end of it. That's just the way we do it. We have a hard time. Uh, yeah, Lord's will. But, uh, but he said that they shall burn a sweet incense every morning. Now, you may not realize this, but your little old prayer every morning if you're on the way to work and you're praying over steering wheel driving, I do that a lot when I go to meetings. If I'm going to be driving an hour or two hours, sometimes three or four hours, uh, I'll just talk to the Lord while I'm driving uh, with my eyes open. Uh, I, I talk to the Lord and He can hear you just as good while you're driving as He can uh, any, any other way. And it, you know, for years I didn't do that. Uh, but one day it dawned on me, I'm just wasting time doing nothing while I'm driving. I could be praying. And uh, so uh, sometimes it's five or six hour trip. I might pray 30 minutes and listen to a 30 minute CD and then pray some more and just kind of divide it up. But it don't matter how long you're praying if your heart's in it. It's a sweet incense to God. It's like perfume to God. Now we know it's prayer because he said do it every morning. And then he said in verse 8, do it in the evening. He said, and Aaron light the lamps at evening, and he'll burn incense upon the incenses type of prayer. So he said do it in the morning, do it in the evening. And then he says, burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense. What's that mean? That means do it all the time. So really what he's saying is what the Apostle Paul said. 
in uh, the New Testament. Uh, Luke said it, Luke 18.1, Luke said men ought always to pray, even if there's a pandemic going on. Men ought always to pray. Even if you don't feel like it, you might not be able to pray like you did, but you ought to pray when you're sick. You ought to pray when you feel good. Men ought always to pray. Then Paul goes a little further with it, and Paul says pray without ceasing. I think that's a place you have to get. I'm not there yet. But I think that's a place that you have to get where you grow and you become so obedient to the Lord that everything comes up, you immediately, your first reaction is to pray. And I don't mean that you have to get down or go to the altar. Just in your mind, your your immediate reaction is to pray. Uh, I think... uh, I think my own preaching helped me a few weeks ago when I preached about Andrew that had the answer to every problem. And the answer was go to Jesus. And so two things to do. Go to Jesus and then do what Jesus says do. If He don't say do nothing, don't do nothing. Maybe He's going to take care of the whole thing. But if He says for you to do something, then you need to do something. Uh, And then the Lord will take care of that problem. So uh, I want you to see that this uh, this uh, sixth piece of tabernacle furniture is mentioned by the angel, the sixth angel, and it's always connected with prayer. Now, uh, no doubt, uh, no doubt that this prayer is connected uh, with uh, what we studied back in Revelations uh, chapter six and verse eleven. There's some people that's been praying. And it said, when he had opened the fifth seal, verse 9, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which said hell. So if they're they're slain for the word of God and the testimony, they're tribulation martyrs. They've been been, uh, beheaded. And we know that because of Revelation 20. Verse 10 said, they cried with a loud voice, saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, Thus thou not judge, avenge their blood on them that dwell on the earth. White robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season, about seven years. Little season, about six years. So now over here in chapter 9, they've just about rested long enough, and the Lord's fixing to answer that prayer. He's fixing to answer that prayer. Now this golden altar, let me say this, this golden altar it always follows the brazen altar. Does anybody know what the brazen altar is for? You don't know, Thomas? Okay, the brazen altar. Brass in the Bible is always a type of judgment. It's always connected with judgment. Anywhere you see brass, it's always connected with judgment. The brazen altar, if you come into the tabernacle... The first thing you've got to come to is the brazen altar. And that's where the sacrifice has to be made. The lamb or whatever you're going to sacrifice, that's where you give it to the priest and he examines it, makes sure there's no blemish or anything. And then he, then he cuts it, kills it, uh, gets the blood, sprinkles it on things and burns the sacrifice on the brazen altar. That's a type. We know that lamb on the brazen altar is a type of who? Jesus. Okay, so what we're saying, the brazen altar always becomes before the golden altar, which is prayer. So 
without our sacrifice, without Jesus, no prayer. Without Jesus, no prayer. And by, by divine nature, not by human nature, but by divine nature which we got when we got saved, usually the first thing we do when we come to the Lord in prayer is we ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins. Raise an altar. Okay, we get our sins took care of through the sacrifice of Calvary. Now we're ready to go pray. And now we can come boldly into the throne room of grace. Uh, so, uh, so this is what's going on. Now, we know here that there uh, mentions there in verse 13, a voice, a voice. Now, we're not told who the voice is, uh, but I'm pretty sure we can assume it is the voice of the Lord. You say, why? Because whatever this voice is, it's giving commands. It's saying, now do this. Now do that. Well, you and I know who's the voice of command. It's the Lord. He's sitting on the throne. And so the voice is the Lord. Okay? So uh, we come now to uh, verse 14. Saying to the, to the sixth angel, the voice says this, the command says this, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. The only kind of angels that are ever bound is fallen angels. God's angels are never bound. Uh, the good angels are never bound. The only angels that's ever bound is falling angels. We know that many places, but in Second Peter 2 and verse 4, the Bible said, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So uh, we know that there's all kinds of fallen angels. Uh, we know a third of the angels uh, rebelled and, uh, and Satan uh, deceived them, got them to fall. So not all of the fallen angels are bound, but some of them are. Some of them's worse than others. You say, why aren't they all bound? Well, why don't they put everybody in jail? Why do they put some in the penitentiary and some in the local jail and some they put a bracelet on their ankle and let them run loose? Because some is better than uh, some are worse than others. They're worse than others, and it seems that these fallen angels are the ones uh, that have committed the worst crimes against God and sins against God. So, uh, not all the fallen angels are bound. But the worst ones have been bound. Now, we know that it says here they're bound in chains. This is not like log chains. This is not like a chain you got out in your garage. You say, hey, you know that. I can read English. The Bible said in chapter 2 and verse 4, they delivered them unto chains of darkness. So the chains are darkness. And... We know that, that hell has, uh, a lot of people don't realize this. They think everybody goes to hell, they all go to hell. They all go to the same place. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach that. You say, why is it like that? Because God's a righteous God. People go to hell because they reject Jesus Christ. That's why they go to hell. But don't think that the guy that 
He was a good moral person. He just never would receive Christ. And he dies. He goes to hell. Don't think he goes to the same hell as a Ted Bundy or a serial killer or a rapist or a murderer. Uh, they all go to hell, but some of them go to a different level of hell. Hell has different compartments in it. Uh, look back, uh, if you will, to uh, Acts 1 25. Acts 1 and 25. And this is talking about uh, Judas Iscariot and, uh, that betrayed the Lord Jesus. And in verse 25 of chapter 1, he said, uh, and that. Uh, he might take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression failed, that he might go to his own place. Okay, this is a special place uh, where Judas goes. He didn't go. He didn't go to the hell where all the other lost people have went. Uh, he goes to a special place. You say why? Because well, we'll probably see him again later on Revelations. But look over in uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, this time chapter uh, 32 and verse 22. Listen to what God's Word said. For a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn into the lowest hell and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. Notice that there's places in hell that are lower than others. Now, if you were at the top of hell, you wouldn't want to be in hell. Uh, hell is weeping and gnashing of teeth and outer darkness and tormenting. and I mean, it's going to be bad. But it's like the prison system. Where do you think they got all that at? It's out of the Bible. Uh, it's out of the Old Testament and the laws and things. And so if somebody has committed a, a, a real, real bad crime against humanity. They put them in a place all by their self. Uh, I know it ain't open anymore, but like Alcatraz or somewhere like that, they put them in what they call solitary confinement. You cannot commit a greater sin against God than to betray His only begotten Son. That's why Judas is in a place by himself. He's in, if you will, a solitary confinement. He's probably in the, the lowest hell. And so we, we know that uh, hell has uh, different compartments. Uh, because back to Second uh, Peter 2 and 4, he said, But he cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And then we know from chapter 9, there is a certain part of that that's opened up and all these demons come out and smoke and brimstone and everything. God has uh, allowed somebody the key to open up one of these places. One of them. He, didn't leave, he doesn't let all of hell out, but He lets out a certain part of it. Okay? Now these angels here, they're bound in the great river Euphrates. Uh, the Euphrates River is some 1,700 miles long. It's a long, long river, 1,700 miles long. And it is the, the marker, if you will. The Euphrates River is the marker dividing the east and the west uh, as far as they're concerned. And uh, no doubt 
uh, as bad as these fallen angels want to get out of being bound, now the Bible says they're bound in Euphrates River. So I don't know if they're bound right in that river or if they're bound uh, in a in a uh, compartment and under there. I don't know. I just know it says there are four angels bound there, and they've been they've been bound there. Well, we know they've been bound there since A.D. 33 and before that, because that's when this is wrote. So they, uh, they've been bound there a long time, and you know they want to get out. But they can't get out until God says, okay, loosen them, let them out. So all through the book of Revelations, we get, a, we get something that encourages me and helps me is that all through the book of Revelations we see that God is always in control. Even when it looks like the Antichrist is in control. Even when it looks like uh, Joe Biden and the liberal Democrats are in control. Uh, Even when it looks like they're all in control, they're right in the hand of God. And the Bible said He turns them every which way He wants them to go. Why would He turn them? Because He's got to get them to do certain things to fulfill what He's put in here. That's why Isaiah said that God watches over His Word to make sure it's performed. So God is always in charge. So they want out, but they can't get out. Uh, The Bible said, verse 15, And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year for to slay the third part of man. Now if we could see God's calendar, if we could go into the throne room and see God's clock and see God's calendar tonight, if we could go in there and see that, we could know exactly when them angels are going to be loosened. Couldn't we? Suppose we went in there and it was 12 o'clock on Friday the 13th, September 2030. We would know exactly when God was going to loosen them angels. But we can't. Why can't we? I want to show you a verse that will help you throughout life. Look in Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29 and mark that verse and make sure you know where it's at. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. Are you there? What does it say? That's right. That's why we can't know. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. There's some things that it's a secret. Belongs to God. You say, why don't the Lord tell us His secret? He probably knows how big of gossips we are. And so anything really, 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 really important, God don't tell anybody. Let's read the whole verse. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the law. So bad things happen. Somebody said, why do bad things happen to good people? Why does anybody ever ask, why does, why does good things happen to bad people? 
We're all bad people. None of us deserve anything. But we say, why do good things happen to, uh, why does bad things happen to good people? I don't know. I've been pastoring for 40 years and I've sat with widows that have lost young husbands. I've sat with women that have lost babies. I've sat with uh, people that their child committed suicide or overdosed. And you don't know how bad that I wished I could tell them this is why this had happened. But I can't. Because the secret things belong unto the Lord. They belong unto the Lord. Uh, I wished I could explain and tell Cheryl why that happened, why it had to happen. And uh, the Lord knows I'd love to be able to do that and I would like to do that, but I can't. I can't. Amen. I w- Amen. Good answer. I wished I could tell Amy why that uh, Ivan had to uh, be taken out on that night when I got a call in the middle of the night, and I wished I could have had something to tell her when I got there, but I don't. Secret things belong to the Lord. But I've wrote this in uh, hundreds of cards. Maybe you got one of them. I've wrote this, and this has been a comfort to me. I hope it is others. So you mark Deuteronomy 29, 29, and then go over and put a big circle around John 13 and verse 7. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Lord says, I can't tell you right now. But I will tell you. And he said, when I tell you, you'll understand why it had to be that way. Because the Lord don't ever make no mistakes. I was talking to a guy one time, he had a lot of problems going on, and his family's falling apart, and, and he was telling me all the problems. And, and I said, well, it ain't the Lord's fault. And he said, nothing ever is, is it? And I said, no. No. Because Abraham said, shall not the God of all the earth do right? I can't tell Caleb's mom and Caleb, I can't tell them why his dad and her husband, why that they didn't make it through COVID and some other people did. I, I can't explain that. I'd be, I don't even try to explain those things. I just pray, keep my mouth shut, and try to be there to do what little comfort I can do. Because the secret things belong to the Lord. Don't know why He done that then, but He said you'll know hereafter. Don't know why Brother Eddie's lost two daughters. I can't explain that. Other people's got ten or twelve. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, it does. Yes. Yes. 
Okay, so uh, so we can't do that. But uh, let's go back here now. And the Bible says, uh, let me get back to my place here. The Bible says uh, that these uh, the six angels sounded and uh, the trumpets blowed. The four angels are loosened by the great river of Euphrates. And verse 15 said, And the four angels were loosened, which were prepared for an hour, a day, and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Now, back in the chapter, beginning of chapter nine, down to verse six, we were told that these demons they cannot kill these people; they can only torment them for five months. They want to die, but they can't. But after five months, these angels are loosened. And a third of the world's population is killed. Now, we will say uh, we'll say tonight that I don't think it's quite yet, there yet. But let's say we start with the figure eight billion people on planet Earth. The last time I I heard it was like seven billion starting over. But let's say eight billion people live on planet Earth. Okay, then the church is raptured in chapter four and verse one. And we'll we'll be liberal about it. Let's say uh, let's say that two billion are raptured. We'll 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 give some grace. Let's say two billion people are raptured when the church leaves. That leaves six billion people left on the earth. We know that in Revelation six and verse eight. We know that it says a fourth part of the earth is going to be killed with a sword, with hunger, and with death, and with the beast of the earth. So if a fourth of the six billion, which would be a hundred and fifty thousand thousand billion killed, which would leave four hundred and fifty billion left on the earth. Now if a third of them is killed, which would be another hundred and fifty billion which would leave 300 billion left out of 8 billion people on planet earth at this time. It'll get down even lower than that, but at this time. So notice notice in this, remember chapter 6, we had the judgments and they're called what? Chapter 6, what's the judgments called? Seals. They're called the seals. And then we have the ones we're studying right now, and they're called the what? Trumpet. The trumpets. And then we have the next one, which will be the vials. Okay, you might think of it like this in Revelation uh, 6. Uh, Revelation 6 and verse 1, the Bible says that the Lamb, uh, the Lamb is the one that, uh, that uh, opens uh, those seals. And then in Revelation seven and verse eight and nine, we're told that uh, we're told that the angels blow the trumpets, release these judgments we're studying about now. And then we got one other uh, one other set of judgments that are called the vials, and they're the most descriptive. They seem to be worse than either the seals or the trumpets in the way they're described, even though they're all running concurrent. We're just told a little bit more about them. And they are given the last ones, the last judgments come from Almighty God Himself. 
Look in uh, chapter 15 and verse 1. The Bible said, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the raft of God. Okay. First one, first one, the Lamb. The second one, the angels. The last one, Almighty God Himself. Now, I think these demons of chapter 9, I think that they're demons. And I think they do what they do until we get down to verse number 13 uh, of, this, of chapter 9. And now we, we're going to do some comparison here. Uh, I want you to stay there in chapter 9, but I want you to thumb over to chapter 16. Chapter 9... Chapter 9 are the trumpet judgments. Chapter 16 are the vials, which are the last judgments. Okay, let's, let's make some comparison. There's several similarities here we want to look at. First of all, in, the, in the Revelations 9 and verse 13, we're told this was the sixth angel. See that? Okay, now go over to chapter 16 and verse 12 and tell me what angel that is. The sixth angel. Okay, look at Revelations 9 and verse 14 and tell me what river that is. Euphrates River. Now go to Revelation 16 and verse 12 and tell me what that is. Okay, look in Revelations 9 and verse 21 and tell me what there's not any going on of. No repenting. No repenting. Look in chapter 16 and verse 11. No repenting. See that? See how these are tied closely together? Okay, I've got just a few minutes, but I'm going to give you this. This is the way I think it happens. I think those demons are released uh, out of the bottomless pit. And they do what they do down to uh, verse number 16. And then we see the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, thousand, and I heard the number of them. Now what you have is you have a demon-possessed army. A demon-possessed army. So you got these demons that come out of the bottomless pit. They do what they do, sting and do all this. But then they possess a 200,000 man army. Now look at uh, look at uh, chapter sixteen and look at verse thirteen. You say, how do how do they do that? How does that come about? Verse thirteen of chapter sixteen, and when the dragon saw he was cast into the earth, that's the devil. He persecuted the. No, I'm at the wrong place. I'm sorry. Uh, chapter sixteen, chapter sixteen. I was in chapter twelve. Chapter sixteen, verse thirteen. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. Dragon's the devil. And out of the mouth of the beast. And out of the Antichrist, the beast. Out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day 
of God Almighty. We're at the end. You say, how do we know we're at the end? Look at, uh, look at verse uh, 15. Behold, I come as a thief. But then look at verse 16. And he gathered them together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue. When does Armageddon happen? At the end of it. So what you've got is you've got God allows it. You've got these three unclean spirits that come out and they, they persuade the kings of the earth just like back in the Old Testament, 1 Kings. And they persuade them. You remember me telling you God's always in control? Amen. See, they tell China, Russia, whoever it might be, Turkey, it tells them you need to go and attack Israel. And so these spirits under the control of the devil who's under the control of God even though he doesn't know it and he's working to bring everything all the armies of the world everything to the final conflict the final battle at the battle of Armageddon. Amen? Yes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. Yes, sir. Uh, if uh, they, the whole world is being possessed, that the Jewish people that are fighting the same Jerusalem at the end. No, sir. Not the whole world. Just that two hundred million man army. Two hundred million man army. Uh, we know there's going to be some people even after the battle of Armageddon. There's going to be some people. That's why you have that judgment of nations. You remember that scripture you read in Matthew 25, and the Lord said, I was hungry and you fed me, and I was in prison, you came and visited me. And, and they said, Lord, when saw we in the prison? When, saw, when fed we? And he said, Inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. During the tribulation, the devil's main goal is going to be to annihilate and destroy the Jewish nation. They're going to be hunted down like animals. They're going to be killed and they're going to be hunted. Of course, God's going to help them. We'll see at the end of chapter 12, God's going to help them. But they also get some help from some people in the world. You remember when uh, Elijah was by the brook Cherubeth and, and uh, Obadiah, I think it was, that uh, he hid 300 of the prophets from Ahab. You remember that? Same deal is going to happen in tribulation. People's going to hide those Jews. They're going to feed those Jews. And because of that, you're going to have at the end of the tribulation a judgment of nations. And the people in those nations that have helped the Jews during the tribulation, they're going to get to go on over into the millennium. They're going to get to go over into the millennium. Some of them not even saved people yet. But they're going to get to go on over into the millennium. Amen. Amen. All right, we're out of time, folks. Thank you for coming tonight and participating and answering questions and all the things you've done tonight. We appreciate that.